0: If you didn't get a handout, there is one in the back there uh, for our third session this morning, and again, the third character trait we want to discuss together this morning that is foundational to us learning to man up would be the subject of discipline. Uh, Our first session together, we talked about commitment. The second time, we talked about convictions, and this morning, we want to move on and talk about another major component, I think, to building a stable and an inspired course as a man, which is developing the character trait we might call being a disciplined man. And I think it's good to kind of ask on the front side of that what does it really mean to have self discipline or to be what we might refer to as a disciplined man? And discipline itself is defined as follows it's referred to as a controlled form of behavior a routine way of working, and the development of an orderly or prescribed conduct. The idea there is a predetermined way of living, rather than kind of living sporadically, just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, or just kind of winging things, we might say. instead That's the idea of a predetermined way of living. And then even correction as necessary, or maybe regulation of our behavior from time to time to stay on course for the sake of either doing one of two things, maybe improving our lives or perhaps as well at times even avoiding negative results. So obviously it's going to include a degree, we might say, of kind of mental fortitude or we might say mental toughness where you choose to do what you know that you should do and you're able to exercise the mental toughness to do that, to do what you should do instead of maybe we might say what we want to do. Or, what we feel like doing in a given situation where we're consistently controlling our actions despite the temptations that come upon us, or feelings we're dealing with, or moods that come in and out of our lives. I like the term, and often I'll refer to it the idea of self regulation. Self regulation. The idea is being able to regulate yourself, develop the ability to monitor and to manage your inward life. I just said recently, and my memory times often is fading me these days, whether it was a Sunday or a Wednesday, I just referred to again how unfortunately uh, prison systems are filled with individuals who never learned how to self-regulate. And sadly, that is just a reality. I was a police chaplain for six years. I'm in and out of prison. My pretty much the majority of my time ministering as a pastor and as a police chaplain and, you know, talking to lots of individuals, and you you see, to some degree, many people who are incarcerated, sadly, are in that place because they just never learned how to self-regulate. Because they never learned how to self-regulate, ultimately, authority and force in the judicial system had to regulate them and, and to keep them under control because they were never able to develop this idea of self-control, we're we're disciplining themselves. So, of course, we're talking about the ability to yield our own will to do things at times that we don't want to do. Uh, That's the idea there, is that you may not want to do something, but you're able in maturity to exercise the the strength inwardly, mentally, to yield your will to do something even when you don't want to. And, of course, the the, kind of the idea is, is... often we talk about delayed gratification. It's, it's a, a struggle many times for young people, for young men, this idea of being able to be patient, whether it's in sexual purity or career paths or you know, just these different... Sometimes there's that struggle of you know, wanting to have a better lifestyle right away as soon as you begin adult. And, and to be able to understand delayed gratification, gradual steps, waiting, and delayed gratification so that we don't end up causing problems for ourselves or hurt, or harm, rather than the immediate gratification, because you're able to see the bigger picture, and the goal was avoiding them kind of negative consequences and achieving a positive result from waiting. And I'll tell you this, and I hope you would agree to some degree at this, I think a lack of self-discipline is probably one of the main things that holds many of us back at times in life as men from accomplishing what we really want to do in our lives, I think so many times it can be tied back to that struggle. It all boils down to, we might say it this way, being able to say no to yourself. You know, A lot of times people struggle saying no to others. You know, I raised three daughters into adulthood, you know, much more sensitivity and feelings and emotions and, and having to explain to them, listen, it is okay to learn how to say no to people. You don't always have to do this or accept that invitation. It is a totally acceptable thing to just politely, and at times even if need be, you know, firmly just, no. I I just thank you, but no. and, And to be able to learn how to say no to others, that's a life skill. But probably a bigger life skill is actually learning how to say no to yourself at times. And this is the idea of discipline, learning how to say no to my moods that I may be in or my desires or my feelings or my ideas, not always giving in to what I want. We might call it this way, the denial of the self life. And really this is what Jesus talked to us about. Jesus told us that a major part of his being a faithful father of his was that daily denial of our selfish nature in fact, if you notice in your handout there that we gave to you, Luke 9.23, the verse there, Jesus made this statement regarding being his follower. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So Jesus reduced discipleship, and discipleship is different than being a believer. Being a believer means you, you believe something, you assent to something— Being a disciple, which is what we're truly called to be as Christians, as Christ followers, a disciple is a committed follower. And so Jesus says, go out and make disciples. And then he says, really, in essence, in this verse, in Luke 9, when he's discussing that, if anyone desires to come after me, if you want to become my disciple, you want to be a committed follower and follow me in your life, Jesus says it boils down to this, deny oneself, take up your cross daily And then you're able to follow me. It's almost as if he says, you have a daily choice. I have a daily decision to say no to the self-life. And this is the idea of deny yourself. Oftentimes we talk about self-denial. And self-denial is a wonderful thing. Self-denial is the disciplinary idea of what you see in, let's say, martial arts maybe, or a lot of athletes practice very strong you know self denial and they're able to deprive themselves and push beyond or you know regulate get themselves under control and self denial is a wonderful thing or self discipline we might use that term right from a military perspective but self discipline and self denial is different than denial of self cuz denial of self is the denial of the self life that is the selfish inward bent inside of me. And there are many people who are, for example, uh, you know, great at practicing self-discipline. Uh, you know, maybe they can hold the pose for 10 minutes straight and not budge, you know, in a, in a martial arts position, or they can refrain from the Krispy Kremes because they're training for the next World Cup or whatever, you know, but that's self-discipline. That's very different than denial of the self-life. The denial of the self-life is I have a inward, selfish, sinful bent to do what is wicked and wrong and rebel against God and to daily be able to deny that and say no to my sinful nature, say no to my selfishness, say no to my pride or my anger or my lust or whatever it may be. That is what Jesus calls us to. That's why notice in your notes there, 1 Corinthians 15, I love that little few word phrase that Paul used. Paul says, I die daily. If you're looking for a place to start with Bible memorization, there's a good easy one. I can't remember much. My wife, she's great at remembering things. Well, there's a simple one for you, and it's a pretty profound one. I die daily. In essence, that is much of what the Christian life is. I die daily so that Christ can live in me and through me. That's why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. And that really is, becomes the essence of the Christian life. You know, one of the books I, I read many years ago, I've read it multiple times since, I a lot of times give it to younger guys, there's a book that's called Christ Indwelling and Enthroned. The first describes a spiritual reality. If you're a Christian, Christ indwells you. The second describes the goal, enthroned. Because Christ indwells every believer. If you're a Christian, he lives with inside of you by the Spirit of God. The question is, Is he ruling on the throne, or that day did I dethrone him? Or in that situation, did I dethrone him and do what I wanted to do? And this is why we got to die daily so that Christ can be enthroned and live through our lives. Look in your notes there in your handout, Proverbs 23, 19. That next verse I put in there, he says, Great wisdom from an older man to a younger man, or to a father to his learning son. He says, Proverbs 23, 19, Hear, my son... And be wise, and look at the wisdom he gives him, and guide your heart in the way. So notice, here's the older man or the father or the father figure speaking now to the younger man from a place of wisdom, of greater life experience, and he says, listen, let me give you a helpful tip, my son, so that you can become wise. And he says, here it is. Guide your heart in the way. Notice, guide your heart. You know, a lot of times we hear this kind of cliche statement that floats around, and it says what? Follow your heart, man. You got to follow your heart, bro. Just follow your heart. What's going on in your heart? Just follow your heart. Well, you know, I understand that that sounds cute and maybe somewhat, you know, romantic in a sense, but when you read Jeremiah 17 and he says under the spirit of God's inspiration, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? You got to kind of be careful then if you're going to follow your heart, because if you follow your heart and I follow my heart sometimes, my heart may deceive me, my feelings lie and can misguide me and we go through moods and we have these, you know, desires and cravings within us because we are sinful and depraved naturally. So God says in his word here Proverbs 23 to us, wise people don't follow our hearts. What wise people do is we guide our heart in the way that we know is proper by discipline by self-regulation, by yielding our will at times to say, man, my mood is to do this or my desire is to do that, but I know the word of God says that this is what's right to do. So therefore, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? I'm going to guide my heart toward obedience of the word of God, bringing my heart or my decision in alignment with the word of God, and I'm going to yield myself over through the action of discipline President Harry Truman made this statement. He said, in reading the lives of great men, I found that the first victory they won was over themselves. Self-discipline with all of them came first. Great statement. Looking at the lives of great individuals and being able to see that connection of victory over oneself and self-discipline being kind of the foundation to excelling to greater things. And when we talk about discipline, some of the key terms I think that kind of come to mind of being a discipline man are things like, you know, again, mental determination, or we might call that concentration or focus. And this is a big thing, gentlemen, because if I can use the analogy, and I talked about this in length when I was doing a a similar uh, set of teachings like this with uh, the senior uh, high school boys at the Christian school, the, the idea of if you think about little boys, what's one of the common struggles with little boys? They can't stay focused, right? A, a, a earmark of a younger boy is they, they struggle with focus. And you're trying, would you just focus here? And, and to just get them to, to focus or to get them to stay focused on an instruction or a task because they got energy, right? And they're, they're just, and struggle with focus. Again, we're wanting to man up. We're not wanting to live like little boys. We're not wanting to be like Peter Pan our whole life long. That means that we have to overcome that boyish tendency and learn how to develop focus, how to stay concentrated and to pay attention, and that comes through mental discipline. It speaks of things like willpower. Again, if we can think of little boys, little boys typically, they have no willpower, right? They they easily give in to impulses. They get distracted very easy. They pursue what's desirable. Perseverance, another term that's descriptive of discipline, pushing through challenges without giving up, right? Rather than sitting there and sulking or self-pity or just letting emotions and moods, and we add them too, though we're men, we don't like to acknowledge them, but they're there. God wired them into you. When you become comfortable enough with your manhood, you don't have to act like you don't have emotions anymore. Jesus wept. I don't think you're a bigger man than he is, right? Jesus had a lot of compassion. Jesus was very strong, but he also was very tender and affectionate. But yet, at times, we have to persevere. Our mood, our emotions may make us want to give up or get discouraged. But no, sometimes we have to persevere. we got to finish a task. We have to stay on course, even though we may not want to do something. Or it's hard at times. Sometimes life gets more difficult, right? It's not always smooth sailing. Sometimes we're in storms. It's not always mountaintop experiences. Sometimes we're, we're just legitimately going through valleys. And discipline is what helps us to persevere. We're going to talk about how discipline talks about self-restraint and self-control, ruling our desires and so forth, thinking before acting, living with moderation. These are all concepts that apply to discipline. So uh, let me talk about a couple of things that I think are real earmarks of what does it look like to live with discipline? What does it look like when a man is living a disciplined life? And the first thing I would say is this, if you're a note taker, the first thing is this, and that is living with discipline structure living with structure when i've worked with young men and i observe a lot of you know young men in the younger generation at times that may be struggling or floundering so many times i feel like this becomes such a predominant theme of a struggle there not understanding how to live with structure to understand the value of structure and what's living with structure what it means establishing and maintaining we might say routines or we might say fixed patterns, fixed patterns and routines. We might also call those things habits, right? A lot of times as guys, we have bad habits. It's one of the benefits of getting married. Your wife lets you know what they are pretty quick. But it's also a wise thing to establish good habits and to have some good habits, which are the result of living with structure and maintaining some healthy good habits that are beneficial. Habits like, for example, Getting out of bed at a certain time, going to bed at a set time, if need be, setting an alarm clock to keep yourself in some degree regulated like that in a way where that's what's necessary. Look, the older I get, the more do I find my internal clock wakes up earlier, but to be very candid, I, I use an alarm clock every single day. I, I, I just do because I don't. my flesh would prefer to just keep resting on and sleeping, so if I want to have some degree of structure, I need to purposely, consciously force myself. Whether I go to bed at a set time, where that doesn't happen for whatever reason, there's stru- I got a got a structure there. God, I want to get out of bed at this time, and and that's just something that becomes a part of that. You know, maintaining good duties to kind of keep some order to our life instead of just kind of living sporadically, that willingness to make decisions, to not do always just what's convenient in the moment or what's easiest, but to establish some degree of structure in your life so that it keeps you from kind of pursuing this or pursuing that, and it kind of, it just keeps us on track having some degree of structure. And I don't know about you, but I learned very quickly after marriage and and having three daughters and trying to get four ladies out of the house at times or trying to move four ladies from here to here. I just had to plan for interruptions, and that was just with life and family. Then you add on to that other things and responsibilities and work and ministry and this. Life's full of interruptions. I just find that having some degree of structure helps the the, the interruptions be a little more manageable. Because if you don't have structure, then you get all the interruptions and all the things that happen. you got a tornado now, and and you you just can't get the thing back under control. So there is real value to this discipline of establishing some structure. And I would say one of the most important disciplines above all else when it comes to structure, guys, is structure and discipline in the area of your own spiritual health. Establish spiritual structure. That's why we just saw in our study on Sunday mornings, we're going through 1 Timothy right now, right? Those of you who are here where Paul tells Timothy, exercise yourself towards godliness. And he uses that analogy of bodily exercise. In the same way, you are not going to shed fat and and stop being overweight or drop a few pounds. You're not going to make your diet more healthy unless you choose to do things, right? You just doesn't just you can't just wish away being overweight, you can't just wish stronger muscles and I don't understand. You know, seven crispy creams, no exercise. Why don't I have that buff body I did when I was a junior in high school and the star football player? Well, you're not doing the same things. <laughs> and and it's going to just get more and more difficult. Well, the same thing with spiritual health. It is shocking sometimes the reality that we tend to overlook as Christians to wonder why like spiritual health and spiritual strength and spiritual progress doesn't just happen automatically it doesn't but, to do nothing my sinful flesh is going to just drag me back into backsliding so if I'm not moving forward I'm going to start gradually back so that means there needs to be structure spiritually I got to exercise myself the bible says towards godliness. I want to get more godly. I want to grow. I want to get stronger spiritually. Well, you got to get some exercise spiritually. You got to put some time in, in God's gym. You got to establish some structure. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend time with God on a daily basis. I'm going to you know, make time for prayer. I'm going to consistently with structure be in the house of the Lord, not because it's a religious obligation, but it's part of my workout routine. It's a part of my spiritual routine. I need to be there routinely. And again, these become very important things, and that structure spiritually makes the spiritual life become much more healthy as we navigate a relationship with the Lord. A second thing I think that about being disciplined and, and what it includes, I would say, is it something that includes being productive, or we might say avoids laziness, and you notice there is a ton of verses in the word of God. It's almost somewhat embarrassing when I you know, recognize that reality that our heavenly father, right? He's a good father, and he's trying to raise good sons and good daughters. Uh, and he spends a whole lot of time, particularly in the book of Proverbs. We're going through that on Wednesday nights. We see a whole lot of verses in the scripture about the subject of diligence versus laziness, hard work versus not working or or just being you know kind of apathetic and, and Proverbs ten verse four I put a few verses about diligence there in your handout Proverbs ten four let's just sort of glance through some of these for sake of just hearing God's voice certainly the best thing we could always hear is just God's voice listen to what God has to say on this subject pretty strongly Proverbs ten four he who has a slack hand finds that they become poor but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So God says, diligence, the end result of that, progress, productivity, prospering, ultimately, you know, getting to a place. Most people who are wealthy in the culture have not inherited their wealth. Most people who have become, to a degree, more wealthy in some degree, God said way in advance, it was just diligence. They just just diligently worked hard, consistently made healthy choices, and it translated into just greater wealth and progressing in that area, where in the same way, many a times those who have become poor, and again, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, this legitimate things happen, but there is a good percentage of a population where people struggle financially and become poor simply because of the fact that they do not want to be diligent or to work, and it was their own laziness to a degree that they're struggling with, whether mentally, emotionally, what that's caused them to be in that condition from time to time. Proverbs twelve twenty four says, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. So notice, diligence brings about progress, promotion. Someone who's ruling is someone who's now the boss rather than the servant or the employee. So being diligent, he says, That's what leads to the right and the opportunity and responsibility to have some degree of rulership to progress, where many times the lazy ends up being the one, because they're lazy, they can't rule and direct and lead others, they have to be someone who is directed. And because of their struggle with laziness, they need to be someone who's being directed by a supervisor at times because they simply can't handle a leadership role yet, the Bible says. Proverbs thirteen four: the soul of the lazy man desires but has nothing, but the soul of the diligent will be made rich. And Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent surely lead to plenty. So notice the diligent person with discipline, they make plans. They make a plan, they pursue a plan, they work a plan, but those of everyone who is hasty, the idea is just kind of winging things and no real against structure or disciplined approach to things, surely to poverty. Now, notice the many versions cautioning about laziness. Some of them are almost somewhat humorous just in their reading. Proverbs 12, 27 in the list begins, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is a man's precious possession. Notice someone being so lazy, they go through all the effort of actually going out, scouting the, the, the area. They actually make the catch. They, they capture the animal, but then they're too lazy after doing those important things. They bring it home, and their laziness makes them wealth, waste. They don't even end up cooking the meal, and they waste the opportunity. And so again, this is kind of an indication one of the problems of laziness, lack of discipline, is it can lead to somewhat of a wasted opportunity at life from time to time. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of a lazy man desires. The idea is he's got lots of dreams, right? Sometimes this is a struggle with laziness. Dreamer out the gazoo, man. Dreams, ideas. Oh, I got this new idea. I'm working this new plan. I got this new thing. On, and, and, and lots of ideas, lots of desires. Nothing wrong with being a visionary, but some people, that's all they are. They have tons of visions but they never roll up their sleeves and do anything. And that can be a problematic thing. And so God says the soul of the lazy at times desires, but they have nothing because they do nothing. They're always too busy dreaming up the next idea, the next hopeful opportunity, but the soul of the diligent, he may not have a lot of ideas, but he knows how to roll up his sleeves and just go to work. God says he eventually makes progress and becomes rich because of just that diligent effort. Proverbs nineteen twenty four. the lazy man buries his hand in the, let's call it the chip bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Now that's a bad picture of laziness, isn't it? You put your hand down in the, honey, can you pass me the chips? You put your hand down in the chip bowl. Oh, honey, you think you can put a chip in my mouth? I mean, that's pretty bad there. You know, put your hand down in the bowl, and, and you're so lazy, God says, you can't even lift it up and feed yourself. I mean, that's a picture in and of itself. Don't tell me God doesn't have some sense of humor. Proverbs 19 15, laziness casts one into deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger or lack. So again, laziness can be the root uh, cause of wanting to sleep too much of being drawn to oversleeping we all need rest but laziness can be that rude issue of sleeping too much as well as idleness not being active just becoming unproductive too much sitting around and unproductive time verse uh, Proverbs 20 verse 4 the lazy man will not plow because of winter And then he will beg during harvest and have nothing. So, again, the idea there is is his laziness becomes his excuse for kind of a soft attitude. You know, he sees winter, I don't know, it's kind of cold out there, man. I'll work in the summer. And then he misses the opportunity because he's too lazy to go out and kind of tackle maybe a little bit of challenge and difficulty and uh, causes problems. Again, Proverbs 21, verse 25, the same kind of idea I mentioned earlier, this dreamer or wishing to... The desire, that is the dreams, the wishes of the lazy man ends up killing him. And look what Proverbs 21, 25 says, for his hands refuse to labor. There's God saying exactly, kind of got ahead of myself, what I was referring to. Lots of desires, but no diligence to go out and actually do things and and labor. Proverbs 22, verse 13 says it this way, the lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. What's that's a picture of? One of the things laziness makes us prone to do is make excuses. Oh, I would go out there, but it's dangerous. I would go out there, but there's a lion outside. Something may happen to me. Now, I, 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 I should have put this in my notes here, but I, I heard it recently, so f- forgive me and you can fact check me and cancel culture me if I, if I get the fact wrong here. But there was a study that came out recently, and I believe, and my numbers could be off on this, it was done from 25 to 40-year-old males, and I believe the number was somewhere around 7 million right now, 25 to 40-year-old males who are able-bodied working individuals. They're not disabled, there's not you know reasons that they, they cannot work. Able bodied men, 25 to 40 years old, somewhere around 7 million currently unemployed, and when asked, basically said two things I'm afraid to go back to work, something may happen to me, I might get sick, or it's just much easier to continue to receive compensation from the government. That's sad. That's really sad. (laughs) making those kind of excuses and choosing that, oh, uh, that's just an indication, God says, of, of just laziness. As the door turns on its hinges, a few more here, Proverbs 26, 14, as the door turns on its hinges, so the lazy man turns over on his bed. Look at Ecclesiastes ten eighteen. Because of laziness, the building decays, And through idleness of hands, the house leaks. So again, neglect, laziness, not being productive. God says here, the picture, it causes things to fall apart, things to not work correctly. Now, the New Testament speaks of this as well and really gives some really strong exhortation on this subject, Second Thessalonians chapter three verses seven through eleven, I have in your notes there. Paul was addressing something that clearly became a problem in the church of Thessalonica, and predominantly, to some degree, it was this: people. As Paul talked a lot about the return of the Lord and Jesus coming back at any moment, and the rapture of the church, and we might be out of here right away. Some people took that and wrongly kind of used that as as a platform to basically say, "Well, I mean, if the Lord's coming back soon." I mean, we we might as well not work. I mean, we should redeem the time, man. And I'm just going to go evangelize every day because I'm kingdom minded. And so, what happened is, some of them were becoming lazy and idle, and people were having to take care of them and bail them out and pay their bills. And they were kind of there was a seems this, sort of this spiritualizing of, oh, well, I don't need to work, so I'm just going to kind of be irresponsible because Jesus could come back at any minute, you know. And, and there was this idea of missing somehow the thing that Jesus said, which was, yes, I'm coming back, but Jesus also said, occupy until I come. (laughs) In other words, stay occupied with one eye always looking to heaven, knowing that in the midst of being occupied, I can come at any hour, and to have that healthy, balanced life. So Paul addresses this because there were some in the church that were just not working and being irresponsible. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3 in your, your notes there. He says, for you yourselves know... How you ought to follow our example, Paul says. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. Again, as Paul went around as a missionary church planner, he went from location to location, and it was Paul's typical pattern, though it seems he had missionary supporters, and at times he would receive financial remuneration from churches. To, and again, nothing wrong with that, it's biblical. But Paul's motto is he went quickly from place to place, planting churches, is when he would go into a town, rather than be a burden on the people, he would try and start working together with his team. He was a tent maker, and he would do that to not be a burden, and as an example to responsibly provide for himself and his team and do ministry at the same time, and then oftentimes they would be up and move to a new location. And So this was sort of his missionary uh, pattern, church planning from place to place. He says, we weren't idle, nor do we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, look what he says, we work night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. He didn't want to be a burden on the people. We did this not because, he says, look, not because we don't have the right to such help. In other words, Paul understood it. it's okay to be compensated to do ministry. He says that wasn't that, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, to imitate. And then look what he says. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Imagine if the government operated like this. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that there are some among you who are idle and disruptive. They are not busy or occupied. Wow, what a simplistic way to solve a problem. Paul said, look, let me help for those who... And notice again, please, please notice. i want to draw your attention. The one who is unwilling to work. He doesn't say the one who is unable to work. There are reasons at times that people may be genuinely unable to work. And in those situations, we should show, show compassion. Ephesians 4 says we should be working to help those in need. Right? For some reason, they're unable to be working in a given situation or season. Health issues or a situation arose, and, and they're in the midst of trying to find work. Or again, there are reasons why people are unable to work. But, but God says here, when someone is unwilling, and the, the root issue is they're just unwilling to work, because they don't want to, or it's laziness, or they make excuses, and they're just, and he says, they're not busy, so he says, here's the way to do this. Don't help them. Don't feed them. And he says, it'll be amazing to see, after a day or two of hunger pains, how all of a sudden, they'll be out there hustling, looking for a job. And and he says, and they'll find this reality will motivate them. And so, again, very, very great counsel. God does not want us to drift into that kind of lazy, unproductive way of living. God wants all people to be contributors in this life and not just consumers, consumers. God wants us all to be productive in some way. I'll tell you, gentlemen, laziness, I think, is like a mother that gives birth to many bad habits in our lives. It can give birth to things like you know sinful behaviors, and you can tie it back to, la- and we get lazy, and it kind of gives birth to then entering into some sinful behaviors, just bad habits, causing us to lack motivation. A- and that's why there is personal safety in being occupied. Oh, what's the big deal? Because what- I tell you, you know as well as I do, where it's a good lesson to learn, if not, that being occupied... And having some degree of busyness, whatever it is, to keep ourselves occupied, it's actually a safeguard in our lives. It actually protects us because idleness is the devil's what? Workshop, playground, right? We've all heard that. And it's just a reality. There is something to be said for just staying productive, staying busy, whether you keep yourself busy or you got things keeping... There's something to be said for that. It eliminates many opportunities to be tempted to do things that are not good. And so often we discover that reality. When we are too busy, then we just don't have time to do dumb things. If we have a lot of things that we're tending to and our energy is here and we're occupied doing that, a lot of times we're just too distracted to do wrong things. We just don't have the time to give to wrong things because we're just productively doing other things. So many times you'll find disciplined people aren't necessarily stronger at overcoming temptation. Don't, don't think that. Oh mean, he is so disciplined. That's why he can overcome temptation. Disciplined people aren't stronger at overcoming temptation. Oftentimes, they're just more diligent at staying on track, and that's why they don't give in to temptation, because they're occupied in what is good. Another big area of discipline is exercising self-control in our desires and our passions, we might say. And again, in your notes there, I, I put the reference of Matthew 4. This was exemplified by the greatest man, our leader, our Lord, Jesus, as a man. He's driven out into the wilderness, remember in that passage? And he overcomes the devil's temptations. And what were the devil's three temptations? We often refer to them as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And Jesus there with the word of God and exercising his will and dependence upon the father as a man, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Listen, Jesus was saying to Satan, I don't need to defeat you as God. I can defeat you as a spirit yielded man in my humanity with the word of God, depending upon my heavenly father. And to me, that's a great example there that Jesus overcame the devil's temptation of the lust of the flesh, which was what? Lust of the flesh is satisfy yourself. He overcame the lust of the eyes, which is take what you see for yourself. And he overcame the pride of life, which is another thing what we might say promote yourself. And so again, exercising discipline, self-control is what helps us to overcome Bodily appetites and lusts and impure desires, and the things we struggle with, anger and pride and lust, and these things we battle with as men. Galatians chapter 5, as it describes the fruit of the Spirit, tells us that part of the fruit of the Spirit, people often forget the end of the list, is self control. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? We know all those front end ones. The last part of that section of scripture says part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That is the Holy Spirit and living under his power helps us exercise self-control, or we might call it discipline. Paul describing his own kind of life working this out, look what he says there in your notes, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Paul says, I discipline my, look what he says, my, my body, my, my humanity. I discipline my body bring it into subjection that is under my rulership, under my control, so that I'm not disqualified. What was Paul saying? If I don't discipline myself and my humanity, I'll end up disqualifying myself. I'll end up ruining my opportunities that God wants for me, and things will get out from under my control in an unhealthy way. Of course, one of the main areas as men, not just men, women as well, but as men, we understand this area of exercising self-control and discipline is crucial as it comes to restraining our sexual desire. The natural, normal sexual desire that we have that yearns to be satisfied and that sadly sometimes what we do is we satisfy a God-given desire For sex and sexual expression, and we satisfy a God given desire in a God forbidden way. And so, therefore, 1 Thessalonians 4 talks to us about great detail of this is the will of God, Paul says there. Your sanctification. Oftentimes we ask, I wonder what God's will is. I wonder, there's a few places in the Bible where it specifically says this is God's will. One of the occasions is in the area of self control with our sexual desires abstinence if you're not in a marriage relationship with a female or in any other capacity, restraining that sexual desire. And again, abstinence indicates the presence of a desire. And it means the desire's there, but I choose not to yield to it. I choose to deny that. So again, to abstain means, yes, the desire's there. And this is why he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain, resist, subdue, Don't turn on the faucet, sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, that is your bodily vessel. Learn how to control your body with sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. Oh, well, in comparison to people in the world, I mean, comparison to what pigs in the world do. I mean, I'm a pretty stellar guy. I mean, I'm just I'm just doing this with my girlfriend. You don't compare yourself to the world. They don't know God. You don't use that standard. You use the standard of the word of God. So he says here, not in comparison to how the world is, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother. Interesting, in regards to sexual relationship, no one take advantage of and defraud his brother. A lot of times when I'm talking to young people, I'll say to them, listen, you go fooling around sexually with someone who you're not married to, that may be someone else's future wife. Would you like it if someone slept with your future wife? Would you like it if someone fooled around with your future husband? You'd probably be pretty upset. So this is it. Don't don't rob your brother. That may belong to somebody else someday. That's something that God wants preserved and protected. And look, this is a battle. We understand it. I would oftentimes say to my kids, you know, by the grace of God, all three of them are are married now. So that part of the struggle of trying to help them as a parent, I'm I'm on the other side. But I would often say, listen, you got to serve your time on the combat zone. Me and your mother did it during our dating relationship, it's, it's like, that's your time on the combat zone, man. You got to resist. You got to overcome. You got to be practical. Don't put yourself in compromise. Oh, sitting on the couch with mom and dad again. Hey, welcome to the combat zone, bro. <laughs> welcome to Afghanistan. <laughs> Stinks, don't it? You do, your, you do your tour of duty, nine, 10 months, a year, whatever, and eventually you get the prize. Then you know, But I'll tell you this, and, and to be very candid, gentlemen, just because you get married doesn't mean sexual struggle with temptation or lust or desire goes away. It's a constant battle. It's a continuous battle. It certainly helps when God's solution exists and you have a healthy marital relationship, but this is a continuous battle for everyone. We must keep fighting and do what God wants us to do through discipline and self-control with our desires. He says, Proverbs sixteen thirty-two: he who is slow to anger, better than the mighty, he who rules his spirit, then one who takes a city. In Proverbs 25, same idea. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down with walls, without walls. The idea is one of the hardest things to conquer, God's saying, is your own inward spirit. Man, we all know that. You know, I've made this statement before. Every guy has a pal, P A L, his pride, his anger, and his lust. And that pal, no matter how many times you stop hanging around with him, always stinking shows up again. Doesn't he? He says, man, I don't want to hang out with you. Get away from me, pal. I just, I want to, I want to live for Christ now. And here he comes again. Here comes Mr. Pal, his pride, his anger. And, and, and we have to learn how to rule our inward spirit. And he says, sometimes that's harder than conquering a whole city. And if we don't rule our own spirit, he said, you become vulnerable like a city with broken down walls susceptible to attack. One other area that discipline applies to is also, of course, we might say patience in decision-making, or you might put it this way, avoiding impulsive decisions. Avoiding impulsive decisions. I put a few verses there regarding discipline helping decision-making. Proverbs 14, 29, he who is impulsive in choices, decisions, exalts folly. You end up entering into foolish activity or bad choices. Proverbs 19:2. It's not good to be without knowledge, and he sins who hastens with his feet. Proverbs 29:11. A fool vents all his feelings. There it is there in the Bible. I have a very good Calvary Chapel uh, pastor that I highly highly respect, but he always rails on men in regards to feelings and it's one area I just don't agree with him on. A fool vents all his feelings. Apparently God says you have feelings. Maybe anger, Maybe, but he says, a fool regulates their feelings, a wise man holds them back. The idea is you just, you got to learn to restrain that. You got to use self-discipline and, and, and be careful that when you make decisions, you're not, I often say it this way, that we're not reacting. That's giving into your feeling. You want to respond. Temptation is reaction all the time. You know, whether it's in anger or re- just reacting right away, that's not good decision-making. Reactionary thinking, when you get mad in the moment, you blow up, and your brain blows up with all this anger, and you just—that's it. And then you and you may even calm down, but because you let the volcano of anger go, now you've predetermined already whether it's in a moderate—you're you doing the angry response. And he says, you can't let your feelings drive you. You have to learn how. I have to learn how to respond to things with good judgment, taking time. Again, this is the idea of not being impulsive, not being hasty. That's where we get off track, right? We've all done that before we know it, whether it's in little decisions, and boy, big bummer when it's a big decision and we were impulsive or, you know, hasty in some way. The Bible says, Isaiah 28, he who believes won't act hastily. So wisely trusting the Lord keeps us from doing that very thing. And, and that's, that's just a real crucial area. Discipline is valuable when it comes to decision-making. Now, just to kind of tie this up, let me just run through, if I could, what are some benefits of importance, okay, you've rattled on about discipline, and the, what are some of the benefits of those kind of things? Well, let me just mention a few things as we conclude. One, I think living a disciplined life helps with progress. It helps stay on track And it's often been said before, discipline is like a bridge that gets us from goals to achievements. It gets us from goals to achievements, exercising discipline. Discipline also, secondly, preserves us from many painful experiences and regrets because we don't end up making poor choices if we're disciplining ourselves in our decision-making. It helps us stay focused and on track. It helps you be selective in your decisions. You'll think more critically. Discipline helps you. I know this is stepping on a toe, but it's just true. Sorry, that's what we're here doing. It helps you be punctual, which means on time for stuff, whether that's arriving on time or arriving early. That's what discipline does. It helps us honor schedule and things of that nature. It helps you be an independent person so that we don't become needy and, again, kind of draining on others. We don't want to be that kind of person. Discipline is that thing that will make you and I an independent worker. You get an instruction. Nobody ever has to talk to you or watch you ever again. You're just you're an independent worker. Discipline will make us, gentlemen, a self-starter, huge self-starter. You can just see things and do them. You can notice things and attend to them. It will make you a self-starter without having to be pushed or reminded or told. And it keeps life balanced instead of getting all sporadic, up and down, and floundering around, as I mentioned earlier, because the unexpected things, they're gonna happen, right? <laughs> they just do, man. All the unexpected stuff in life, there are so many uncontrollables, but there are also controllables. So control the controllables. Keep some structure and discipline so then when the uncontrollable events happen, it will be less overwhelming because you're better prepared and it will help you stay on course. You know, one of the life verses I gave to you last time, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, I told you it's one of my life verses. It, you know, it, it in essence conveys this idea. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of your heart spring all the other streams and issues of every other area of life. You know, many of you may have heard of him before. There's a gentleman, Jocko Willink, who's an ex-SEAL. He wrote a book called Discipline Equals Freedom. Now, I have not read the book, so don't hold me accountable for that. I just searched down a quote. But I do like the title of the book, Discipline Equals Freedom. He says this. Listen, to a quote from Jocko Willink, an ex-Navy SEAL. He said, freedom is what everyone wants, to be able to act and to live with freedom. But the only way to get to a place of freedom is through discipline. The temptation to take the easy road is always there. It's easy as staying in bed in the morning and sleeping in. But discipline is paramount to ultimate success, as well as victory for any leader or for any team. And, and I love this. Listen to the conclusion of this. Don't expect to be motivated every day to get out there and make things happen. You won't be. Don't count on motivation. Count on discipline. Man, that is good. Don't be, I don't feel motivated. Who does half the time? (laughs) Don't count on being motivated every day, he says, to get out there and make, you won't be. Don't count on motivation. Count on discipline. You know, may God, by his grace and the power of his Holy Spirit, help us to be what we're not, but make us what we can become to give us the grace of discipline to live our lives in a much more healthy way. Let's stand together and let's pray, gentlemen. Father, thank you for today and this time to be together as men. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to to discuss and think through these different subjects and characteristics and character traits that we see weaved all throughout your word that are very valuable and beneficial for us. Lord, forgive us for our shortcomings, the weakness in our flesh, and Lord, give us the grace to grow. That's what we want, Lord. Thank you for working in each of our lives as men, and we pray and ask these things together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Glad to see you again this morning.